This Cool Is Out podcast with Mike and Miles. We're all about asking questions and finding solutions for all things education. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles. Hey, Mike. How's it going this week? Doing, doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Hey, what's the topic this week? All right. This week, Mike, we've d- decided to talk about relentless optimism. And okay. this is a term that has been rattling around with me recently. And while I was thinking about this, I thought of our conversations and what we do or what educators do in general. So I thought that this would be a really good topic for us to discuss on the pod, and I'm excited to do so. All right. What? Tell me about relentless optimism. Like, what is it? What are you talking about here so that our listeners know exactly where you're coming from? Right. So I mentioned to you before, Mike, that I have been doing a lot of reading and research on things like mindset and grit. And optimism has always been something that's on the forefront of my mind. But this idea of being relentlessly optimistic, I think, is really powerful for, for me personally. And as we look at what optimism is, it's just a genuine belief that things will get better. And to be relentlessly optimistic is to never be without that belief. In whatever situation you are in, whatever organization you're in, just the eternal belief that good will prevail, I think is very powerful. And if if anyone is able to adhere to that idea of being relentlessly optimistic or adopt that kind of as a personal mantra, or if that's present in an organization, then good will prevail. And it's not to say that you're not going to go through some rocky times or some ups and downs, but as you're going through those things, you know the purpose for why you are where you are, and you genuinely understand that good will prevail, that this situation is going to get better, that I am here for a real genuine purpose, and I am relentlessly optimistic that we will succeed, that I will succeed, that this student will succeed, or whatever that is. Yeah, I want to add to that and kind of pick out some of your words there. When you said this has to be a mindset, I couldn't agree more because if you don't if you don't take on this relentless optimism as a mindset as a part of who you are i think people were they're going to inevitably do it anyway at the beginning but they're going to say no you're being naive you know you're being naive and not realistic and at the same time you know they might they might be out there to try and prove that that realistically what you're what you're envisioning it can't happen but i i, I want to say if that is who you are as a person, people will come in time to realize that you're a doer for people and that 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 relentless optimism is what drives you as a person and and comes out through your work. And yeah, Mike, I mean, I want to get back to the idea, just so I'm really crystal clear that if I am relentlessly optimistic, I can almost just will things into existence. And that might sound a little hokey, but I really genuinely believe that to be true. 
Um, you know, we worked together on something a few years ago, and I don't want to put any specifics into it, but just as a little small illustration of what we're talking about, there was a student who we were working with, and that student was um, trying to get accepted to a college, was denied from several colleges. I started having conversations with you about this, and we said together, this student is going to get into college. And before any acceptance letters came, I went to that young person and I said, you will get into college. You will be accepted into college. Now, at that time, anyone who was working in the, the sector that I was working in would have looked at me and said, you're crazy. Don't tell that to someone. That's not going to happen. It's not realistic. It's time to look at something else. But that person had told me they wanted to go to college. I believe that they could go to college. You, as being part of the situation, believe that it was best to try and make that happen. And I didn't say, I think you'll get accepted. I didn't say, I'm going to try. I'm not going to give you any guarantees. What I said was, you're going to get accepted to college. Because I knew that that was true. And But just putting that out there, before we took another step further on that project, the two of us knew no matter what, this is going to happen. And the same way that you, you know, you described some of your um, your practices in just being a principal, your non-negotiables, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this happen. I feel like that's what eternal or um, relentless optimism does. This is going to happen. Now work, work backwards. What do I have to do to make that happen? And in, in the two of us working with that student, that person was accepted to college. They were accepted to a college that was much more difficult to get in than any of the, the colleges that they were, they were trying to get in in the first place. And us working together, just saying that first, this will happen, and then knowing we're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen, that's the genuine core of what I'm talking about with relentless optimism. Right. And so how do we how do we like push that forward into a building? I think, I think we model it regularly, but I think we have to do what we're doing right now is talk about that. Talk about what that looks like and maybe talk a little bit about what it doesn't look like. And we've dabbled in that a little bit in other pods. I mean, our listeners may have heard some, some bits and pieces about, I mean, especially I, I remember one podcast when I kind of went off a, a little bit on a, on a question you asked, I went in a little different direction, but it, it does not perhaps look like constantly invoking policy, constantly invoking, well, this is the rule and this is what happens. It, it takes a lot of, of balancing on what you're capable of doing. And like what you said, when you've, you, can't, you can't always talk about what you're willing to do. You have to talk about what you're not willing to do and work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, get, uh, that, that was a great example. I remember that student, we did a, we did a lot of work for that, that kid. But at the same time, when we told that student, who, who was a, a graduate, actually, when we said that that was going to happen, he believed it too. You know, right. he, he was part of that. And he said, well, if you're willing to do this, then I believe it. Let's go. Right. And, you know, just the power of those words for everyone else involved in that situation, you can't measure that. This is going to happen. I guarantee that this is going to happen. So then just take that idea and translate it to 
an individual student's experience in school or to a classroom or to a school or to a community and see how powerful that can become. For, for a teacher, relentless optimism. I know that at the end of this year, all of my students will be successful. I know at the end of this year, I have the power to make sure that they're more prepared for future success than they were at the beginning of the year. For a school, I know that this school has the power that we will better prepare our young people for success. For a community, I know that this community is going to get better. I know that we will do this together. And the, the pessimistic view is prevalent. I mean, and the, the other reason why I've been thinking about this recently, if you encounter a lot of people who work with student population or populations of people that might be struggling in some way, you see the opposite of this. If you encounter people in the criminal justice system or uh, the social work fields, you can kind of see the opposite of this. And I'm not talking negatively about them. I wanna make that really clear. But what I'm trying to say is the exact opposite attitude can be present in everyone. But if you encounter, like I was saying, if you encounter people in the criminal justice or social work fields or whatever, you can see that at one time they may have been optimistic about what they could accomplish. And they feel as though working within whatever system they're working in, that it's a pessimistic outlook now for a lot of the people who they're working with, that there's just not enough that they can do individually to make this happen. And yes, a, a perspective of relentless optimism, and we've talked about some of the other ideas that we have, is tiring, is exhausting, will cause you to even doubt yourself at times or doubt that idea. But when that self-doubt comes in or the doubt that, oh, geez, I don't know if I can really make this happen, you have in the forefront of your mind, this is going to happen. I said it's going to happen, and now it's going to happen. There's just not any other, any other option is unacceptable. Right. Um, yeah. I, I like how you mentioned that it, it's gonna it's gonna take its toll on on a person to be this way, and and that person needs to have a support network, um, at least one other person that that shares that same belief, that shares that same mindset when they go about what they do, and and hopefully is in the same field. I mean, I know you and I talk a lot, and and we do a lot of the same work, and and we have that there, but. Um, when you talk about the opposite side of that, there are more people, it seems, that are practicing the opposite than there are people that truly believe that that difference is going to be made. Um, and you'll, you'll hear things like, oh, well, you're just young and you wait till you see what it's really like. You'll change your mind. I don't, I don't listen to those things. And, and when those people say those things to me, I don't feel bad for them. I feel bad that I believe they were once different. And, and perhaps they didn't have that support network or perhaps that network isn't available to them now. And so they've changed their mind and, and fallen back into, well, it's never going to get any better. I'm just surviving until the end of my tenure. I, I don't want to see that because 
in our field, if, if one person is like that, it reinforces a kid who may be struggling to feel the exact same way, who, who will take a kid and say, well, I don't believe that it will be different for me. I don't believe that opportunities exist for me outside because you're showing me that they don't, or you're giving up on me, or you're thinking less of me than, than student across the, the, across the classroom. So it's essential that for every single student that we come across, that, that crosses our paths, that we show them that we believe, because without that, they have no belief that their situation could be different, better, or what they've designed. Right. And it can't be fake. No. <laughs> We've talked about this idea of fake, but that belief can't be fake because everyone will know that it's not genuine and sincere. Uh, I want to go back real quick, Mike, to something that you said, because I think it's really important. That idea of having a, a support system or a network or at least one person who has that, that common core belief in the same way that you do. I think that's essential because I want to believe that everyone who goes into fields working with, with students, those people are optimistic at one point, that they are going into whatever system or field they're going into because they genuinely want to make a difference. But I feel like what happens is what I said before is, you know, experiences take away that optimism and change that belief. But if you're truly going to be relentlessly optimistic, you have to have someone else to lean on because there's so many other outside factors that will work to diminish that. But just like I, I was describing that student who we, we worked on or worked for together, we did that together. You know, and maybe if one of us were doing that by ourselves, maybe the roadblocks that we encountered would have been enough to not make that happen. Or just having someone to talk about your struggles or your challenges with is essential. And if you're in a, a building, a school building, or if you're in a system where you feel like you haven't found that person, well, then do things like this. Listen to podcasts or you know, find a book that you identify with because there's so many other things that you could find that would take you in the wrong direction. But if you know in your heart that you are in your role to genuinely make a profound difference, there are like-minded people out there. And if we can continue to just promote this idea of relentless optimism, this is possible. We will get this done. That network is there. You just have to try to find those those people and they're there you know that they're there they might not be teaching in the room right next door but they might be in the same building or they might be in the same district or the same county or whatever it is there are those like-minded people out there for sure yeah re relentless optimism is is for me i mean with another with another analogy is an engine it's a it's an engine that will do uh, one of two things and when you come when you come into teaching or if if you're that person who is optimistic all the time, then your engine is firing. All eight cylinders are going. You need fuel for that engine. And you've got to find that other person out there to add fuel to it. Because without that, you're going to stall. And you don't want to stall because it's hard to get that engine started back up again. Until you find somebody or a, a leader or a colleague who is that way again, and it might reignite that. Um, you definitely don't want to stall. But... You know, if, if you think about 
the greatest schools, or if you think about the greatest classrooms, they have that that person in front of them, either at the systems level or the classroom level, who is relentlessly optimistic. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to plug his book right now. If 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 you were to read, it's called Hashtag Ed Journey. Grant Lickman wrote it. If you read about the schools that he visited, that in his mind are the greatest schools that he's been told about. These schools, whether they're private or public, it does not matter. They they were forged by courageous people who were relentlessly optimistic. And it takes courage to do that in face of ad, the, those adversaries that are saying, no, you can't do that. That's not realistic. It takes great courage to be that way, despite what others are putting forward to you. But that's what that's what builds great schools. That's what builds great classrooms, great communities are people that aren't like, well, if it happens, it happens. No, it doesn't just happen. It takes right. courage and optimism to push through all of those things. So if we could, Mike, I'd, I'd like to take a look at what being relentlessly optimistic looks like at different levels of the system for different people who may be living or um, experiencing this or listening to this. Um, so on my list, first and foremost, one of the things we always talk about are teachers and the teacher's classroom. So the idea of being relentlessly optimistic in the classroom, think about the power that this statement would have going into a school year for a teacher. All of my students will have an A at the end of this year. And we talked about this before in some other podcasts, but just think about the power of that. Not all of my students have the potential. All of my students will earn an A by the end of this year. Yeah, I think that is just one statement that can't be anything other than relentlessly optimistic. You could listen to that and say that's not realistic. That can't happen. Why not? It is. <laughs> why realistic. not? You list all of the reasons right now why this student can't have an A. And if it's not possible, then don't teach them. Exactly. And and think about that. We we talk about how a vision drives everything that you put for, in front of you. So, but, well, that kid's behavior. Okay, let's talk about behavior. There's two rules for my classroom that we've talked about. You're going to be kind to everybody every day, and you're going to work to the hardest, the best of your ability. Those are the only two rules that I have in my classroom. And when you do those two things, I guarantee you're going to be successful. And when you're successful in my classroom, what's your what's your letter mark going to say? It's going to say that you're successful. And I'm going to work for that every single day for every single student. And I'm hoping that every classroom does that. Now you're at the school level. I'm hoping that every school in my district does that. Now you're at the district level. That can be funneled down, but it has to. you have to have that belief, like you said. Everybody must share that same belief. That's got to be the vision of the school, not just the classroom. It's got to be the vision of the student. It's got to be the vision of the family. Yeah, so go back then. Go back then to those students in a classroom, a, a class of 20 students. Do, do all of those 20 students believe that they have the potential and the ability to be successful to the A level in a class? That's a question. Does the teacher in that class believe that all of those 20 students have the ability to be successful to the A level of success? That's a question. And if if they don't, we need to work on changing that mindset first and foremost. And 
at the beginning of the year, if I'm the teacher and I sit down with student one and I say, you will have an A in my class. And then every day we work together to make that happen. That's relentless optimism. This will happen. Now let's do it together. Oh, I find out in January, which is a part of the school year that starts to get pretty difficult for some people sometimes post Christmas. Oh, this student is now telling me they don't care if they're successful or not, which happens. That's real life. What is my role as a teacher to change that attitude in that student? Because I've already said they're going to be successful at a high level. And there's not one answer for that, that but that's just now I've got to get to, to work to make this happen. Not say they've given up. Whatever they get is on them. Right. and. And what is success? I mean, if 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 we're struggling in schools to see that kids are being successful, then change what success looks like for everyone around you so that they experience, so that you, everybody can experience success. We need to count our wins every now and again, instead of always taking, taking account of the losses that we see. No, we need to then change what success looks like for ourselves and others so that we know that it exists and build up from there. I say this to teachers very often. Well, Johnny's struggling in math and he's, you know, he's not getting this concept. Okay, well then show Johnny something that he does get so that we build his confidence and he doesn't give up on what you're trying to do right now. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, we talk about this too often, but imagine the world of education as a video game. If the video game gets tough, is it designed to make you quit playing it? No, it's designed to show you success eventually so that you want to keep playing it. There's that, I mean, that's a generic model for life if you think about it. If something is so hard that you're not able to do it, then why pursue it at all? No, no, that's not how, that's not how this should work. And we can we can dive into a little bit of why people give up or why that pessimism creeps in, just like you're talking about, if it's too difficult, then I feel as though I don't want to play the game anymore. But a, a thing that came to my mind, Mike, when you said that is, is that the model of the classroom a lot of times is set up as a competition. In that video game, we have a final leaderboard with number one and then number 20 down at the bottom. And if you're consistently finishing 18, 19, or 20, and you can see that you've never had a chance to get up to number one, two, or three, it's it's probably realistic that you're going to want to stop playing that game because you're not having success, it's not fun, and you're not the leader. In, in the classroom video game, in my mind, there's not a one through 20 leaderboard. There's an individual competition going on for each student, and everyone probably needs to realize that that a classroom isn't a competition, a school isn't a competition. It's individualized. If we want to get it to where it needs to be, it needs to be individualized. I've determined what success is for this individual. Then we're measuring that, and then we're working towards that individual success. Right. And, and I mean, that's not what our system is set up to do. But that's, I think, why we continue to, to have podcasts about this, so that we can identify that if our system isn't set up to do that, then we have to move up the rung from the classroom up the ladder to the system. 
So how do we design systems or how do we have the courage to change systems that are in place that reflect just that? That's difficult. And, and when we talk about that level of change or any level of change, change to me is three things. And, and I think this is why sometimes change falls on its face because it's difficult, it's inconvenient, and it's time consuming. All three of those things come into place when we talk about any sort of challenge that's change. And when we, when we avoid difficulty, inconvenience, or time-consuming tasks, we, we find that we're working more towards a status quo and because it's easy and we know that it works for some. And that some just has to be enough that we don't look bad to some other agency. But what we're talking about, you and I, Miles, is we don't care about, I mean, we do care about some, but we also care about the rest. Right. We're not shooting for that that inside of the bread. It, this is, you know, when I say the shotgun approach or what others might call the shotgun approach, we got to get away from shooting out what we do in education and trying to hit the most of the kids, the, the majority of the kids in the middle. Well, how many kids are we leaving out by doing that? And And we can't think that that's okay. And we must be, again, to the topic of this podcast, relentlessly optimistic that we are going to reach all the kids on the outside because it does matter. It matters to them. And they deserve it. For sure. And we're doing okay at teaching some. We're yeah. doing okay at teaching some. It's it's the some, the all the others that keep me up every single night. And, but I'm relentlessly optimistic that we can find ways to reach those kids. And Mike, I just finished reading a book, uh, rereading a book. I read it about mm, over 20 years ago, Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if you're familiar (laughs) with it at all, but I, you know, I picked out a lot of things again, rereading it. But one thing that Maury says in that book, and if you're unfamiliar with this as a listener, it's been around for a long time, really famous book, but Maury is dying and he's having conversations with a former student of his. But one thing he says is that the culture is bad. The the mass culture is bad. It causes people to live in ways that they shouldn't live. And he says in the book, you need to create your your own culture. And I believe that to be true. If we feel as though in education, Mike, you know, that this system that we have set up or whatever doesn't do what's best for all of our students as educators, then we have to create our own culture. And rather than, I was thinking about this this week, rather than just saying, I'm going to change the entire system, which involves millions of people, I'm going to create my own culture within my school or my school district or my classroom or just for myself. And I'm going to live to those standards because if I recognize that there's part of this culture of school that doesn't work for the people who I'm trying most to help, then I need to, I need to make my own culture. And I think that's powerful also, you know, I'm going to create a culture that's counter to that larger culture, but I'm going to be so optimistic that I can do that. And that culture is what's best and what's right for the people who I'm working with. And those are the types of leaders that need to be in front of more and more people. That's the type of of talk that needs to be heard at the highest level. 
We need people out in the forefront of what we do, saying those kinds of things. What we don't need are more people kind of tucked away just trying to, to run a school district or to run a business. No, we need that person to be the banner person. That person is the number one cheerleader for what we want for all of our kids. Because like it or not, that type of mentality has a trickle-down effect. So for example, in our business, if your superintendent is carrying the flag saying, I love this community and I will do anything for it. In fact, I'll do, I'll do anything but these three things, or I am going to do everything I can for not just the system, but for individuals around me, that effect will carry down through all the members of that school district. And it's interesting because I've been, I've been reading some things uh, job descriptions, and I've been very fascinated by this. I read job descriptions, not just for, for in the world of education, but I've been reading a lot of job descriptions in the medical field too, and they, they sound very different than that. But one stood out in particular. I was fascinated by this one. There was a, a pretty courageous job description out there for a, um, a high-level position in education, and it said, we want you to be able to work with the Board of Education, but we also want you to be able to do more with fixed resources. So don't go out there looking for more money. We want you to look for creative ways to work with what you already have. And I was fascinated by that because it didn't say we want you to run the business. I mean, it, it, it did say some of those things later on, but that one really stood out. I'd never read that in that way in a job description before. We want you to be creative. I was really interested by that. I've not read that yet. And then when you read a lot of the medical field job descriptions, it's very just very business oriented. You have to be good with numbers, highly organized, these and things. It doesn't often say things like we want you to think outside the box with a team of people that we have in place. That was really neat. That's pretty interesting. Just interesting for the fact that one of the refrains I keep telling everybody is the number one or number two um, quality that employers or jobs seek in people is the ability to be creative. But as you're coming through job descriptions that you don't see that often, uh, you know, in different fields, that's interesting. But the fact that you you did see it in at least one job description is super interesting also, especially in a in a business where you work with with people and need to find unique solutions that are focused on individual people's needs. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I, I keep going back to this, this idea of these schools that are, that are creative and courageous. And, and I guess some of them might be charter schools or whatnot. And, and a lot of people lean the other way when they, when they hear things like that, well, they can be that way because if, if the kids step out of line, they can just kick them out. And I guess my question to them is, but how many kids do they end up kicking out? Um, these, these schools that do innovative things, they do what we've, always, what we've talked about on other shows. They get kids interested in education by doing very interesting things, and the rest seems to come along for the ride. You know, that academic piece comes along for the ride, 
But somewhere there was that person that said, no, I'm doing this because this is what's right. And believe me, the community is happy for it. (laughs) There's a lot of people that are happy that those types of schools exist in their community. Those types of schools didn't always exist. Okay, And, and to go back to my other analogy, that middle part of the bread wasn't bigger than the rest. You know, that when we talk about what we've dabbled in before is saying like great schools and great communities that exist or comparing one community to the other isn't necessarily accurate because one community might have more, more of that, you know, most, you know, most of our kids, we're trying to get Mm -hmm. most that most might be a greater number in other communities, but those interesting schools that were created to serve a need, no, that most wasn't that big. They saw a need and somebody was courageous and said, no, we're doing this. We're building this school because it's what's needed. And we're going to do whatever it takes to get this on, to get this going. You know, if you think about the world of public schools and charter schools, public schools compete with charter schools. So to have a community welcome something like that into their community, that, that's a big thing. That's a courageous piece just for the community because they're giving up and welcoming in and a school that's going to serve their community, but not necessarily their own organization. That is very, very courageous, but that's, that's doing something that's being optimistic and saying, we're doing what's right for our kids. And that's being optimistic and just saying, I know there's a different way to do this. I know that this will work. I'm going to do it in a different way. That's counter to the culture that might be overall school culture or educational culture or whatever, I'm going to make my own culture. And that's what those schools do. The ones that do it, do it really well. I'm going to establish my own culture and define what's important for this school and this culture. And I know that it will be better, at least for the students who come to that school. Right. And and sometimes maybe we, we could dabble into this a little bit too. Sometimes that mindset comes with a, another mindset too, is I'm, I'm going to ask for forgiveness first before I start asking for permission. You know, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. And then, uh, you know, if, if I have to take a couple lumps for it later on, or if I have to get permission after it's already done, we'll, we'll go do that. Um, not all the time, but sometimes you run into situations like that. Yeah. And one of the thing I've just thought about during this conversation, that idea that I said before that a classroom should not be just a ranking ground for students one through 20. I don't think that the educational system or the way we look at schools should be that way either. You know, and even if you have a school in a community that goes in a different way and is doing what they believe to be best for their students. That doesn't mean that, say you have two schools, you have a charter school and a public school and a community. That doesn't mean that that the public school then is a bad school. It means that they have a, a different culture and they're doing hopefully what they believe to be best for their students. And that charter school is doing exactly what they believe to be best for their students. And it's not a ranking, it's just very individualized. And perhaps we need more of that in education, even if you look at what the state of Pennsylvania does, you know, they have they have rankings of schools and they show you your scores and whatever. That's a ranking of schools. 
in my opinion, it'd be much more beneficial just to be really individualized and say, um, you know, this school is focusing on this and being good at these things and they could improve in those things or whatever. And I guess I'm off on a way off on a branch and just talking about relentless optimism, but to bring it back to the, the overall topic in general, if you're just talking about schools and what they do, it's okay. It's okay to say that you can do things differently, that things need to be done differently to meet individual needs. And those things can work too. It doesn't always have to be exactly the same. I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that you went off on a tangent at all, because, you know, if you think about the classroom or the school or even the state level, if you have a kid that's, that's known to be number one, then you also have a kid that's known to be number last. If you have if you have a valedictorian and you celebrate that, you also have a last place student. And, and how's that kid celebrating? And even at the state level, if you have a school that's number one in the state, then what do you call the school district that's 501st in the state? Because everybody knows where they stand. That school that's last knows they're last. And what's what, what's going to happen now? You know, that student that's last knows they're last. What's that future look like? And if you're not relentlessly optimism, you're promoting the exact opposite of 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 the top. You're promoting both. Right. I'm promoting that there is a top and a bottom. No, you're <laughs> saying, Miles, that I'm promoting the best for every single person. All right, Mike. So one of the aspects of this idea of being relentlessly optimistic is what happens if that's not in place or what happens to individuals who lose that optimism. And we've talked about this, but I think it's it's a sad side of things, especially in education, if you have really talented people who lose that optimism and they feel as though whatever they're doing can't make a difference or isn't making a difference or not making enough of a difference. And they either leave the profession or they kind of check out while they're still working. A term that came up during COVID and is still around as far as labor goes is quiet quitting. And you're on the job, you're doing what you need to do, but you're not doing what would be needed to, to make that substantial impact. So I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like in education if we if we have that happen with that loss of optimism. The tough part is if you quiet quit as a teacher or if we have really talented people who leave the profession of education in general, it's not like the the widget that you're pumping out is less. It's that real people's lives are affected all the time. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and I, I guess that that kind of that that strikes a little bit of a nerve, not against you, Miles, but against the situation. And and here's what I'm going to say about that. I want to talk directly to leaders. I want to talk directly, especially in this case, school leaders. If you're seeing that, or if you're seeing that that people are engaging in what's called quiet quit or doing less than what they were doing, you immediately as a leader need to take inventory of that right now. I mean, right now and get away from the mindset that 
that I've heard all too often. Well, if they want to leave, leave. They're replaceable. One, no, they're not. No, they're not. Because people that are in that that part of their life right now that are struggling and they're they're slowly quitting, they are the ones who are not replaceable. They are they're most likely really good teachers, really good school employees, and they need your support. That's what they need. They need reassurance from you, the leader, that you're going to help them or that you're going to get them through some slump. To say that they're replaceable confirms to them that they made a bad decision right along. And you know what? That also reflects on you as a leader because you picked them. You picked them out of a crowd to work for you and then didn't support them when they needed it most. So you as a school leader need to focus in on those types of, you need to be able to hear what they're saying. You need to be able to hear the concern that they're having. And I'm not saying that they're they, that these are the people that are just constant complainers. No, these are people that you know we're doing for you and are now changing. Something's different about them. That needs addressed right away. I mean, that's your responsibility as, as a leader to do that. And the people who do that, I think what, what has happened is their, their core belief, their core optimism of why they got into doing what they're doing doesn't mesh with the culture around them. And if you listen to those voices of teachers who are uh, frustrated or who even leave teaching, they'll tell you they feel as though, you know, they weren't able to make a difference or the the leadership in their building or their district didn't align with what they were trying to accomplish. So they feel that they had to get out of that system and go do something. Ultimately, they're making a choice for themselves, right? And people in education on some level are always self-sacrificing. You're giving up something of yourself for the greater good, for your community, for your students. When you feel as though you can no longer balance that, like as an individual, you are suffering so much to sacrifice for others that it's either damaging you or not worth it. You're not getting the results that you really feel as though you need to get for the people you're trying to help. That's when those people either withdraw or leave. And that's really sad, but education needs to find ways <clears throat> to make individuals in the system feel as though their efforts are with worthwhile valued and appreciated and that sacrifice that you're making as an educator either financially or time or stress or whatever those things are are ultimately worth it they're they're worth it to you i'm willing to give up this for the greater good that i'm able to accomplish right let me put it into perspective for some of our other listeners that that maybe aren't school leaders because maybe maybe people in, in our field have heard this before, but in schools, there are people that punch the time clock, okay? So there's there might be people in a school that come in at 7.30, punch in, they work their shift and they punch out at four. Um, but you know what? Those people are already getting what they want out of the job. They're punching in, they're punching out, and that's their job. What they're getting is a paycheck and maybe that's what they're working for. Those aren't necessarily, they, they may or may not be really, really good teachers, but they're, they're different. What they want is the paycheck, we're here to work, and, and I'm done. Somebody else who's looking for something more, that person that's giving more to get 
some different kind of reward, which is intrinsic, the seeing that the kids are being helped, that service attitude, they're doing something else. Okay. And they, they are looking to better themselves a different way and they need a different level of support because if, if, if we're just going to say we're designed as a school for people to punch in and punch out, you're, you're not designed to be a very great school. You're designed to be a very status quo school. You're living on the policy of, well, if you come to school, you'll be successful. And if you don't, you won't. Well, no, no we're finding out very quickly that that model is not really working in 2024. So let's let's bend this back, Mike, if I could, to how people, if they're in that spot, if they feel as though they've lost some optimism, they once had it, and the, these words are very difficult to identify with, or they're feeling as though the system at this time isn't working and they're ready to leave that, let's, let's try to lay out what people can do. We've already talked about having a, a like-minded individual alongside you, but I want to present another idea also that I think is very helpful or in this overall mindset. And that is the view that you taught me this a while ago, Mike, or the words that you live by also lead where lead where from where you are. I believe that's it. But in relation to that, I always looked at this this way when I was a teacher, and I still look at it this way. I am an independent contractor. Yes, I'm part of a school community. Yes, I'm part of an organization that I'm responsible to and will always fulfill my obligations to. But I have an individual life mantra and core, and that's just to help people. So in my classroom, I am going to help people every day and work to get them further than how they came in. And as an independent contractor with that individual mantra, if my school is doing things that are counter to that, that done doesn't affect me as much because that's the school. I am always still who I am. If as a, a building leader, I'm in a state system that I don't always agree with their choices, that's not a reason for me to check out because those are their choices. I'm still in control of my school and optimistic that I can make the change there that's necessary. So whatever space you're in, just that relentless optimism is the view that you control that space. Don't, don't allow the different layers above you to impact what you can control. You know, the school made this decision. I really don't agree with it. This policy change or whatever. So what? There'll be more policy changes that you don't agree with or whatever those things are, or this contract negotiation is going on and I got less money or whatever, those things are individually hard to deal with. But as educators, we can't let those individual things affect the core of who we are and why we're here. You stay committed to those core values, to that core optimism. I'm going to help people no matter where I am, whether I'm sitting in a classroom as a teacher or a building leader or wherever else. If I leave education, I'm still going to help people. That's all that I'm doing. And I will be always relentlessly optimistic that I'm going to make that happen. Right. And, and when people know that about you, they're going to be more apt to come and tell you that they're having problems. They're going to be more apt to say, I need some help. Will you help me? Knowing that you're that person. 
because they don't they don't have to wonder whether you're going to step in and help. They know that you will, whether it's big or small issues. And I think that if we go way back in the podcast and we talk about how that can that can wear on somebody like that, that takes that takes a lot a big level in in a in a helpful person like you're describing to know how much in every area you can help. But it doesn't matter because if somebody asks for help, you're going to help them. So it, you're, you're going to do for them, but it's important to do for them and, and to have them know that you will. They need to be able to come and tell you that they're that they're having issues so that you can focus on those issues. I guess getting back to my last little, I, I won't call it a rant, but like when I talk about the school leaders and that's their responsibility to help people who are quietly quitting, you've got to project yourself as as relentlessly optimistic in order for people to come and tell you that they're struggling. Otherwise, it'll be too late when you do find out that they are. And then you'll have nothing else to fall back on, but say something like, well, they're replaceable. Well, no, (laughs) it all goes together. It all goes together with being optimistic and being that, that helpful person so that they have the confidence to share with you their needs so that you can help them and can maintain that optimistic outlook, that mindset of it's going to be fine. We're going to help these children. That's our job. And I'm going to help you do that. And what you're saying, Mike, is that those people who would come to you believe that you could make things better. People aren't going to to bring a problem to anybody else if they believe that leader or whatever that next step is feels differently, that it's not going to get better or that they can't do it. If I believe, if I'm working in your school as a teacher and I believe that you believe we can make this better together, then I'm going to come to you and discuss whatever that issue is and we're going to find a solution to it. If together, collectively, we already believe that there's no solution, that this problem can't be solved, that this student is going to struggle no matter what, then why would I even talk to you about it? Right. And now imagine, I mean, I hate to, I hate to be dramatic here, but now imagine being that student, they see what's going on too. They see the struggle, whether it's presented to them in black and white or not. They know whether people are working for them or or concerned about what's going on in their life. They can tell right away and they know whether they're going to come to a teacher or have a confidant in the school. They know. And if they have nobody, then guess what? They're also going to check out. Now you're going to have quiet quitting students. And geez, if you have students that are quietly quitting, wonder what their families already did. It all goes together. It's very cyclical in our communities. And I mean, we have that, right, Mike? I mean, we we see that in people. People, people, people do give up. Think about the reverse, though, the powerful effect that this can have. Do we honestly believe? Picture the worst situation that a student could be coming into a a school from right now. Do we honestly believe we could sit down with that person and and say at the end of this year or the end of this five years, your life will be better. I will help you be successful. I believe that we can do that. And I believe we should be able to say that to that person. But if in your classroom or your school, you've gotta be able to say those words and then make it happen. And if you can sit down with that person and say, yes, I can make your life better, they will begin to believe that as well eventually. If they don't believe it, you have to believe it for them. 
If they don't believe in themselves yet, you have to believe in them for them. Yes. I, I, I couldn't say it better. That is an absolute must. And, and in our world and in our profession, everyone must believe that. They must live by that. Short of that, the issues that we face in today's system of education, are, it would be hopeless without that. I mean, people have to understand that the world of education, it is changed and it is difficult. But when you think of when you think of like that, those statements like, well, it's different than it was before. Right. It is different than it was before. Imagine the kids that are going through it. <laughs> and and let's let's just add some perspective to this. I don't think this is even an education talk at this point. If you look at polling data from United States citizens, if you look at how they feel about the future, people are generally pessimistic about the future. They're more apt to identify with things that have happened in the past than the future. That's sometimes a human nature thing, but it's the culture that we're living in. I have to be able to say I'm optimistic for the future because it hasn't happened yet. And I'm working to make the world better moving forward. I believe that it can be a better place. I believe that the students who I'm working with now can have great lives in the future, no matter where they are right now. That's just a general mindset. And I'm not gonna change the overall mindset of the United States or the culture, but I can always, always, always influence my own mindset. And if I have that and you have that, and other people listening to this, I'm not trying to sound like I'm giving a sermon. It makes things better for everyone. The mindset is the future is bright. The mindset is we have the power to control the future. Yes, and I'm gonna I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump on top of that, Miles, and say if you're listening to this podcast and you don't feel that way, please reach out to us. I will get, you know, you and I will both get you where you need to be to get you into that mindset. If you're working with kids or if you're in if you're in the 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 working world at all anywhere and you're listening to this and you have that pessimistic outlook, reach out to us because you need someone like us to bounce your ideas off just like what we said earlier in the podcast. You need somebody. You've got to have that somebody. I will be that somebody for you. Miles, you'll be that somebody for someone else. I'm telling all of our listeners, if, if if you're out there and you're like, man, these guys need to prove it, we will. We sure. will. I'm, I'm, seriously. And I think that's powerful words to say, Mike. What you're saying is we will make whatever situation you're in better. That's the relentless, optimistic view of this. We have helped people. We will continue to help people. We'll help anyone that we encounter. Yeah. I mean, it... It goes back to it's not what we're willing to do. It's what we're willing not to do. I will help you as long as I don't get fired, go to jail, or hurt somebody else doing it. I mean, those are the five words that I, 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 I mean, I've got all these things, but I, how can I help you? How can right. I help you? Five words. Right. And I, you have prepared yourself through all of your experiences and all your knowledge to help people do those things. And all of the people listening to this podcast have also done those things. If you're a teacher, you're fully prepared 
to help people. You have the experiences and the knowledge to just move people forward. All you need is just to maintain that belief that it can and will happen. Not even that it can, that it will happen. Yes. So I don't I don't know where you want to go from here, Miles, but I, I don't know how better to put it than that. I think we've probably explained everything that I wanted to talk about on this perspective, Mike. And just to kind of recap, the idea of relentless optimism is that no matter what, in the face of whatever comes your way, you believe that you have the power to make things get better for whoever you're working with in whatever situation it is. That may, that might be enlisting the help of a hundred other people. If you need to do that, you do it. But you are just relentlessly optimistic to the point that everyone around you feeds off of that energy and things get done for the lives of people. Yes. You know, and, and if if you need if you need a little bit more about that, if you're a teacher, look at who who you're working for. That's somebody's son or daughter. That's somebody who hasn't yet experienced the world and they're in front of you. And if they're if they're a if they're a nightmarish student like I was when I was in high school, what is causing that? Get to the root of that, but never forget what you're there for. That person has a whole world ahead of them and they have a high level of need, or that person has a whole world ahead of them and they're just they're part of the most it doesn't matter they're in front of you right now and you've got to maintain that that optimistic approach that you're going to be what you want to be which in my world is successful when you choose what you want and you're you're after it then you're successful um you know and, and there's books written on it there's you know read the book kids deserve it that's exactly it. They do deserve that. All kids deserve that. And kids deserve kids deserve educators who are working with them that believe in them. And that's all it really is. It's just a belief that they can. And how do we all work together to collectively make those things happen? Right. All right, Mike, I'd say that pretty well wraps up this discussion. Uh, we're going to touch on some of the things we talked about in future podcasts, which I'm really excited about, and we're just going to keep hopefully having these honest conversations about things that matter. Yep. I can't wait. This has been the Schools Out podcast. Continue the conversation and explore past and future episodes at schoolisout.org.